Kelda. Welcome to episode 10, season 2 of the podcast and I'm really, really excited to share this one with you all because it's not every day that you actually get to sit down one-on-one and, um, and hear the journey of survival like the one from William Pike. Now, if you've never heard of William Pike, pa- legend of a dude, passionate about the outdoors, former teacher and founder of the William Pike Challenge, but he has an incredible story of survival when... And one day, school holidays, perfect forecast, decided to tramp up Mount Arupehu with a friend of his and um, ended up being a part of a volcanic eruption which unfortunately resulted in the loss of his leg. He almost died, he lost consciousness in the dome shelter and, and there was a daring rescue to get him out of there and he was predicted to die really from, from doctors when he got into the emergency room. Um, months and months in hospital, surgeries, and even learning to walk again, learning to walk without an ankle. He shares that story. And I'm going to tell you, it's it's a pretty inspiring story. He talks about how his purpose, his sense of purpose has given him confidence to overcome challenges. And especially that challenge of, of losing his leg on Mount Arupehu. He talks about how, how he kept going, what actually drove him and just the whole idea of building resilience. And that actually fosters in and translates over to his program that he's that he's launched which is the William Pike Challenge which we talk about in this podcast as well a program at schools where there's 20 hours of passion projects 20 hours of community service and it's all about for, for kids Kiwi kids in year six or five or six up and it's all about adapting building resilience connecting with the community building new skills um, and I really love what he says and he says that purpose is the fuel to your fire and not to underestimate yourself um, this is one of those stories where I, my jaw was open the whole time and I just couldn't believe how how he survived and also just his mindset now and all the things he does, all the projects he's a part of. Inspiring dude, incredible story and I know you're going to love this podcast with William Pike. Ngamahi. Well, William, mate, thanks for hopping on. How are you? Very good, thanks. It's a Friday, and uh, hopefully, in a couple of days' time, we'll be back in level two. So, mate, I reckon, <laughs> I reckon. Fingers crossed that we're not locked away like this again. Has it been all right for you, lockdown round two? Because you're in Torbay, right? So, yeah, I'm in Torbay. Uh, you know, we can kind of walk to the beach and a few local parks and a, and a patch of bush to kind of explore. So far out, it could be in a lot worse uh, situation. I got. Um, my wife and a, and a, and a three-year-old and a six-month-old. So I tell you what, it's been uh, pretty hard keeping the kids in check over the last yeah, know, couple of weeks. But, um, you know, we're just kind of double-teaming it and um, <laughs> it is what it is. What, what else can you do? So, yeah. 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 Well, your, your little one was born in just the beginning of this year, wasn't, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Oliver, he's, yeah, start of the year. He spent uh, most of his life in uh, lockdown, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you think about it that way, hey, shucks, what an yeah, interview. I, I'm assuming he won't remember it, but uh, you no, never know. No, no. Thankfully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, oh. no, he's good. He's doing really well. He's um, He seems to be kind of fitting well and pretty chill. Mm. Nothing too much phases him, even his older sister kind of yeah. pulling his hair and pinching him. Things like was that, she, you know, is so. she stoked to have a little brother or was she like, oh, I wanted a sister? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, she thinks she thinks it's her brother. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a wife or mine. Uh, good. So yeah, it's hers. But no, she's good. She she's um she's pretty stoked and 
seem to get on well so mm. far. So time will tell. Mate, time will tell. You already got them out into the outdoors and into the thick of it, mate? Oh, too right, too right. Yeah, and no, I've had, um, you know, Harriet, that's for sure, out um, you know, out on the boat kind of fishing and you know, her biggest bushwalk so far was three hours and I was about to take her on her first overnight bushwalk uh few days before we went into lockdown so or level three should i say so i'm pretty gutted about that actually i was really looking forward to taking her into uh daly's clearing hut in the uh in the kaimai maku range and um, showing what it's all about oh but, those um, down is that down katikati ways totally it is, ways. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah no it's a nice nice spot eh? but mm. um, that's fine um i'll get her there she's been camping um before so uh in a tent you know um on the campsite so yeah she's done, she's done a few things so um, yeah mate thought it might be her sneaking in behind me. <laughs> i tell you what, I don't know, that thick supplejack in those, in the Kaimais, I just remember having to, you know, those vines, eh, you're just trying to, because obviously we didn't go off, we were off track, we were navigating and stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, mate, yeah. It's a blast. Yeah, it, it, it is a blast, eh? Um, no, supplejack, not great for hunters, not great for amputees, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we'll take that yeah, one back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, But what about in Auckland, mate? I mean, I mean, as people know that listen to this, I'm not from here. I'm from Fongamata, so I, I could tell mm. you all the, mm. the ranges and the and the good places to walk around there. But Auckland, mate, we're in a concrete jungle. Is there anything around here that's kind of decent worth looking at, worth checking out? I think wherever you are in New Zealand, you've got something sweet as on your back doorstep, right? Mm. Um, and Auckland's, you know, I think if, if you're in the, the CBD, yeah, you've got a, a wee way to go. However, you know, if you look at, I was down at the, the Iraqi uh, kind of marina the other day. You know, there's, there's wicked access to the water uh, right there. You know, you've mm. got a big jetty and a wharf, and there's people out there kind of, um, you know, stuff boarding and, and kayaking and doing all sorts. And, and further beyond, you know, is right there, Browns Island, um, uh, you know, mm. Rangitoto Island, mm. and and the whole um, Hauraki Gulf, you know. So, um, and on the west hand side, the west side, I guess, if you go over, you've got the Waitakere Ranges right, right there too. So, Probably, you know, worst case now from the CBD, uh, within an hour you could be Anywhere, uh, right? on a on a on a Haraki Golf Island, or um, you know, kicking your boots on and getting into a walk in the Waitakere Ranges when there's no coldy dieback. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Um, I, I think us Auckland has got it pretty good, and you know, myself, myself, um, based on the North Shore here, we've got uh, the Long Bay Regional Park right on our doorstep. You know, there's there's a beautiful walk in there, which is uh, it's really popular. You mountain bike it as well. You've got uh, the ocean, um, you know, right there as well. Kayaking, kind of paddleboarding. Um, you know, if you can get out a wee bit, um, you know, some free diving or you know, mm. is, is everything there? You know, so I I feel like you just got to stop making excuses, really, eh? No excuses, mate. No, no point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nah, I've I've been here five years and I've said Rangitoto's on my um, to do list because um, it's yeah. right there, and I still it haven't is. gone and done it, mate. So um, that's a kick up. Oh, yeah. That's a kick up the butt for me. Eh? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, get get up there as soon as you can. It's wicked perspective of the you know the, the kind of inner Rangitoto channel and all the East Coast bays and mm. uh, out to Coromandel and, and beyond, and it's it's easily accessible. So yeah, mm. for you, man, where did your just your love and passion for the outdoors come from? I, I went over to Nepal with my granddad when I was 12, really fortunate um, to have that experience. Um, and I hadn't done a lot of outdoor uh, activities whatsoever before then. And the trip was really uh, an old fogies trip, you know, with yeah, yeah. Granddad, retirees and yeah, it wasn't too active. And I was kind of chafing at the bit to try and do some more. But anyway, we, 
one trip I remember was we went up on this huge Russian twin rotor helicopter and kind of swirled our way through the mountains up to um, the highest hotel in the world, which had extraordinary views of Mount Everest. And oh, wow. I guess being a, an Auckland boy and never had, having seen mountains before, this was quite an eye-opener, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. So I was, thought, yeah, I was looking at it thinking, wow, it'd be pretty cool to, to get up to some of those one day. And I think that was definitely a, a, a stimulus. Hmm. And secondly, uh, I had to kind of wait till I was probably in you know, the latter years of my high school years to really find um, the, the outdoors. And that was thankfully through my outdoor education class. And we, we did a lot. We, um, we did snorkeling in the first term, we uh, kayaking in the next term, and we did bushwalking in the third one. And uh, believe it or not, we did shooting uh, in, the, in the fourth term, which was actually right. a shooting range underneath the school music block, which was which was quite interesting if you look back on it now. Oh my goodness, yeah, it is, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think any of those back then. But um, for me, I remember being in the the, uh, the Kaimai, no, sorry, the, the Kaimanawa Rangers with um, my um, Form 6 or Year 12 class. And we were having such a blast. We were cooking on fires. We were sleeping in bivouacs. We were crossing these crudded, uh, flooded creeks. Yeah. Um, it was just wicked. And it was then that I really, I guess, kind of, Felt and you know, got into this you know, mad love for the, the outdoors, and I guess for me, I hadn't really found my kind of my passion or what really kind of makes me tick. And I was never the brightest spark at school, and you know, lots of bush in New Zealand, and didn't require a whole lot of skill <laughs> to begin with. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me, myself and this bushwalking really got off uh, on a on a good note. So, um, from there, I guess after leaving school, I kind of continued that and did more and more and more bushwalking um, in terms of you know, multi-day trips and, and really getting quite serious into it. And mm. when I look back into those early days of, of, of bushwalking and EOTC at school, yes, like I said, we we're having all that fun. But probably what was more important was I was learning essential life skills, right, in mm. practice, which you can't always do inside the four walls of a classroom. And yeah. I was learning how to step outside of my comfort zone. I was learning how to be a team player, how to be a communicator, how to work out, how to cross a, a flooded river, problem solving, creativity, you know, all those kind of it's things in there, there, which are just, you know, I look back at now, they're just real essential skills, 21st century skills. And I do you know, strongly believe that it was those experiences and the skills that I was learning, which I guess shame me into the person I am today, uh, but also helped me overcome, you know, some significant challenges. Mm. So I think I've got a lot to owe to, uh, I guess, the outdoors and the sense of adventure and, and skills that you can, that anyone, everyone uh, can learn from it. Mm. Yeah, and, and the thing you that you say there, which I completely agree with is, um, it is those early experiences and, and things, and even with EOTC, not a mainstream, mm. so to speak, uh, subject, yeah. But um, it, it is those early experiences, eh, that can just shape you and, and kind of propel you, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And for you, because you were at um, Westlake, weren't you? That's sure. right. Yep. So that for me, yep. and, and my, my I can, oh, I'm not saying that I can say this, but my, my flatmate's a music teacher there. Um, and we're saying girls though, obviously you didn't go there. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it seems to me quite the opposite of a school that is engaged in the outdoor sector you know and i think of rural community schools like mine where if the surf was yeah. up we we're out of the classroom and going no traffic yeah, or buses yeah, or nice. light even traffic lights yeah. to worry about yeah. um yeah there's a bit of barrier there right there, there is you know and you know my time westlake was was fantastic again you know that shaped me into person i am today and having a good kind of discipline and, and education and all that kind of thing that i that i have needed 
and I think it was great that they did place the emphasis on the outdoors. But, you know, if you look at the places where we, we kind of went, I suppose, apart from, um, you know, the bushwalking, we, we used the backyard, you know, we were, we were snorkeling mm. and diving. And, you know, that was, I think, you know, well, Go Island and you know, some of the, the outer islands, you know, and the, the local swimming pools and then you had to do it properly. And then, you know, the kayaking was with, literally on the East Coast bays, you know, yeah. and, um and the bushwalking was further afield and the shooting was on the music block. So, um, Mate, we had a good you know, range. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's all about, you know, like I said, using what you've got in your backyard. And um, I think even, you know, the most kind of um, schools surrounded by the concrete jungles can still you know, get out there. Totally. Um, that's for sure. You know, I've, I've been thinking of a couple of schools that are doing the Walling Pipe Challenge and one of their challenges, um, they're in Auckland City School and they go from um, – was it the from the Monaco over to the um, Waitemata Harbour um, mm. and, and walk, walk coast to coast, and yeah, that's that's an awesome ad- adventure. They start, um, you know, in one harbour and end up on the other, and it's it's, it's amazing. So, really, really and, cool. and you'd agree with me. Um, I, I there's something about the outdoors that just gives you. Yes, it's good for you. You know, physical, um, fitness or education and mm-hmm. all this stuff, but mental clarity and just giving you oh, yeah. A, yeah. a break. I mean, I you'd know the feeling, but I've been online teaching for the last two weeks well feels like six months but um screens is like everywhere but to get away from screens i mean when i go out i leave my phone at home you know what i mean and Mm, mm, just get mm, stuck mm. in right wise wise man absolutely you know i think when i'm been working really hard and my head's clouded and i'm tired and i'm knackered that's usually the indicator of actually put your close your laptop put your tools down and actually you know go and have a good walk out in the outdoors or, or go on adventure you know or um, really get into it because yeah, everyone needs that kind of mental break and clarity for health, well-being, yeah, sake. Yeah, I mean that's a huge part of of our whole order. Eh? It's that um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you could almost you could almost encompass every area of of the Faretapa Far in that. Hey, you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, you did you did right. So no, it's essential essential for all Kiwis, um, and all Kiwis can can get into it as well. It doesn't need, it doesn't need to be a hardcore adventure either. A lot of people think, Oh, I couldn't get into the outdoors because I, you know, I don't know how to you know, pack my bag and go on a week long walk. Yeah. Well, you don't need to do that. Um, adventure is relative, right? So it might be um, walking along the beach or it might be sure. a coastal track or uh, a walk on a form of the bush track that, you know, you just cannot get lost on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> so, 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 so it's all relative. Yeah. 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 Now that's, that's actually a huge point relative to where you are. Um, and yeah. then for you, for you, you get into teaching. Um, was that a result of your experiences at school and, and how did you actually decide teaching is something I wanted to do when you, when you left high school? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, my time in high school, I, I always didn't have a problem with the teachers. I always interacted, interacted with them kind of well, I think what was probably a key decider was I was working in a scuba diving shop and I was, I took a gap year after I left school mm. and I was working weekends and I just couldn't see myself doing that kind of job long-term. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was a bit of a setup with my dad and my brother's older mate, but my, my brother's older mate caught me after one uh, water polo training and said, Oh, you know, what, what are you, what are you doing? You know, next year yeah you're just gonna work in this dive shop i was like nah he said well look he said i'm a teacher's college like it's it's awesome like you know um the teaching's great you should seriously consider it so i went along to an open day and and it everything just kind of clicked for me you know i was like oh yeah that could be quite cool i could teach anywhere in new zealand maybe overseas yeah holidays was definitely appealing i know teachers do do work in the holidays but you know that definitely appealed and i i didn't like 
then the idea of I don't know, you know, kind of corporate life or, mm. or anything like that. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to make a, 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 real, a real difference as well. And teaching for me just kind of clicked. So I, yeah, got on to Teachers College. And um, yeah, first day, I was I'm gonna show up late with my jandals and stubbies <laughs> and my singlet on and Mate. opened the doorway. And in front of me was um, 30 women and one bloke. And I thought, crikey, I got off to a good start here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds similar to my experience, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but, uh, yeah, Teachers College was good. It was very good. Because you were primary trained, am I, am I right? That's right, yeah. So I had three years at um, what was originally the Auckland College of Education, which in this last year, uh, flipped over to the Auckland University of Education. And um, yeah, I did three years here. Then in my then I did a fourth year doing my uh, honours and also teaching two and a half days a week mm. out at um, Cleveland School. And my mate James um, and I, who got on really well at Teachers College, you know, went on plenty of adventures and then we ended up starting you know uh, starting teaching at the same school mm. um, we were actually job sharing he was doing 50 percent i was doing 50 percent and then we were both doing our honors um during during the evenings just to kind of get that extra year of um mm. of education and, and up the pay scale and all that kind of thing so um yeah we're, we're loving that and of course you know, I, that was the year in 2007 when i decided to take james on a on a mountaineering trip <laughs> it didn't, didn't end as planned <laughs> that's one way to put it yeah, um yeah, or yeah, i mean yeah. that was a trip and people that have heard your story will know your story and and you probably sh- you know i know you've probably shared this loads mm. of times but people don't mm. know your story as well mm. that was just a normal trip it was meant to be a normal trip wasn't it and he he had never been as am i right up Rupehu before yeah. he'd never been up yeah, those yeah. peaks what what was the kind of what was the goal oh, what mate. were you guys trying to do uh, I'm the kind of guy that just kind of sits around in bed or you know on the couch and just studies typographical maps. And I was always hustling for a, a next a next trip. And being a um, mountaineer in Auckland, it's pretty hard to find someone to to go with. So yeah. I had a mate Cameron who I did did a lot with, and obviously I was getting closer and closer with James. And although I'd done heaps of adventures with him, you know, the bushwalking and kayaking and all sorts, I was like, mate, you've been mountaineering. Like, that's Let's get into it. Yeah, so I'll yeah. take you on your, on your on your first trip, and it will be a blast. So um, it was uh, intended pun. Excuse the pun, yeah, but yeah, um, it was a blast. Yeah, we sure. um, yeah, but no, no, we we were pretty sensible. Eh? We we approached it, you know, all the right gear, topic of what we're doing, where we were going, we had a, a cracking kind of forecast, and we um, left the Whakapapa village um, on in this in the school holidays in september we just handed in one of the last assignments and we were just so pumped to kind of be on school holidays break from obviously from teaching yeah. and to got all those assignments out of, out of the way and it was incredible forecast and we we first overnighted in a snow cave um on the quite low on the mountain that you made and, or like pre-made oh it was actually quite a hard case it was it was actually pre-made oh. there was um a, there was a school group in there so we turned up and we we're about to pitch our tents and they're like ah there's heaps of room in here. We're like, well, sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was about, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 kind of uh, kids in there. One of the young uh, teenage girls that was in there, she actually uh, flagged me down after a presentation I did a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, I was in that dome shower the, the night that you were in. Sorry, I was in the snow cave the night that uh, you were in there before your accident. I was like, that's oh. hard case, man. <laughs> Small world. Uh, okay, so... But anyway, yeah, so we had a good night in the, in the snow cave. Um, a lot warmer than the tent. Um, people think they're, they're, they're worse off, but no, they're really quite um, quiet. What do you do, just dig into the side of the mountain? Or? Depends what you do, yeah. I mean, there's two ways of building one. One's to um, 
pile a whole lot of snow on top of your backpacks and that, and then kind of tunnel in and dig it out, you know, and mm. create a snow cave. Or the easiest way to do it really is just to, um, you know, find a slope that's sort of, of a suitable angle and just kind of tunnel into totally. it and actually go up. And then, yeah, then you trap the heat and away you go. But any snow cave takes a decent one, two or three hours to build. You know, so it's not a, mm. um, it's no, no mean feat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, we um we got we got going the next morning and and headed up to the the Crater Lake and our intention was was to to camp up there somewhere uh, along, uh, around the summit plateau, and also the summit Mount sort of Peak and um, we went up. Um, people that don't know the mountain really just from the fuck up upper side um you know past the ski foot up above that and then um through the notch onto the summit plateau and up along the yeah. um uh, ridge and over the dome and and really kind of found the dome shelter which was actually um completely encrusted in ice it was incredible yeah. the only a tiny bit of the um top of the door was was exposed uh, everything else was encased in like a meter of ice or more so we we kind of dug this the snow out of the doorway and slipped on into it, it was north island's highest freeze you know it's pretty cold yeah yeah and, yeah for sure um from there kind of poked our heads out and just we're just blown away you know the crater lakes just 500 meters away and up above is the the other summit of uh, mount Tripehu where we so badly wanted to get to so we lightened our packs and took off but we soon realized we'd kind of underestimated it you know it was quite a walk to, to get up there <laughs> yeah yeah so we thought that's fine we'll head back and we'll do it you know first thing in the morning was the, was the plan get so the sunrise uh, mate. yeah exactly i couldn't think of a better, better thing to do right um you know early brekkie crack a dawn start before the sun's up and then uh, be on the top of the mountain to pee for sunrise like <laughs> you don't get better than that you know you, you can't pay for an experience like that so um so yeah that was that was the plan and we got into our seat bags by the way it's half star accommodation i like yeah, you know, plywood floors, walls, no toilet, no no kitchen, no bedding, kind of nothing. But roughing it's a big part box. of the outdoors, mate. I mean, the amount of trips I've been there, and we've got our tins of raro, and it's freezing, and yeah, you know, yeah, mate, you just yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, you know, but um, you know, I don't know if we're roughing it that way. Well, you know, we're we're pretty good gear, and I guess for the average person that's not used to that type of thing, you'd think yeah, roughing it. But um, you know, we had a decent sleep mats and sleep bags and warm gear and. Mm. I don't know if we were warm, we were yeah, getting there probably, but anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was in my sleeping bag and James was beside me. We were on the floor of the dome shadow, of course, and it was about 20 past eight, and James was snoring away beside me like a chainsaw. And I um, <laughs> hear this hear this rumble outside of the dome shadow, which is a whole lot louder than James is snoring. And, yeah, yeah. That's, um, uh, what is that? <laughs> a bit disconcerting. So, so I jumped up with my knees and skidded across the floor and you know, kind of grabbed this door frame to look outside and see what was going on. And I could see Mount Rupehu erupting. It was an incredible sight, but Shit, <laughs> bloody scary. And I didn't really, actually, to be honest, I didn't have a second to really be scared or, or really process what I was going to do next because I could see Martin Rock's water blowing, blasting through the sky, uh, almost thick. Um, you know, so I couldn't really see the full moon behind it but obviously there's enough light out there because of the moon before it, all the debris really just crashed down on top of the building and just kind of burst in and because i was in the doorway i was in the firing line and i was crushed like i feel my bones my legs breaking and flesh being torn off i was yelling and screaming it was horrific it was like this jet plane was taking yeah, off man. outside except it was uh, uh, a volcano yeah. <laughs> things right 
And, you know, probably a matter of 20 or 30 seconds went by um, of just, just maybe longer, of just being absolutely crushed and pummeled inside of this dome shutter. And I just couldn't push off this force or escape it. And it's like nothing I'd ever How big are we talking before. these rocks? Are they, these are like... Uh, we're talking probably, you know, like basketball size and bigger, you know, maybe two basketball sizes. So we're talking, you know, yeah, some meeting, decent yeah. rocks. Yeah. You know, really heavy, hard volcanic rocks that are moving at speed. Like, you know, they've been thrown from a volcano. <laughs> yeah. um, and a lot of, and amongst a lot of that was a lot of snow, a lot of water, uh, you know, mud as well, and just this terrible sulfuric uh, stench, uh, you know, kept coming out of it. Mm. And all of this kind of came in and crushed my legs and just pinned me into the building. And everything kind of went quiet and you know, I always have a joke and say, oh, that was about the time that James woke up. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he, he's, he's, he's a deep sleeper, but he did wake up and he felt a lot of debris and mud around his feet and he stood up into the corner of the building. So he was out of the firing line. He wasn't in front of the doorway. So I said, help, mate, come over quick. I said, I think the, the, um, the mountains erupted. I need, I need you know, some help. We need to get down the mountain. Mm-hmm. So you know, he kind of tiptoes over in his bare feet and in his undies. <laughs> yeah. He's been a sleeping bag, yeah, right? Yeah. And, you know, frantically starts to try and um, get me free, but he couldn't. I was just so firmly stuck. And um, he took a bit of a lead in the decisions for uh, a while because I was kind of fading in and out of consciousness. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to faint. I'm going to faint. And he actually, believe it or not, just kind of smacked me across the face <laughs> and it brought me it's around. It was before, quite mate. incredible. Yeah, it is exactly a good slap across the face and bring you around. <laughs> yeah. And um, he was like, Oh, no, no, you know, we're right, we, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. And I was like, Right, well, what are we going to do? So we decided that the best thing was for him to get some gear on and run down the mountain and save his life and, you know, hopefully my life because I wasn't getting out of there anytime quick. Yeah, yeah. So James uh, got dressed and stood outside of the building for the first time. Funny part of it was he was in his boots, his sock, no, sorry, in his boots, no socks, his undies, and my Gore-Tex jacket, <laughs> my new flash from that I brought. <laughs> yeah. But the problem was that everything was buried, so he didn't have anything else to kind of leave in. Uh, it was it was a dire situation, and as he stood outside, he said, "William, you're not going to believe what it looks like out here." And it was like a moonscape as opposed to a landscape. All the white, you know, beautiful snow had been covered in just sulfuric mud yeah, yeah. Uh, and just mud. And it looked completely different. And he was like, all right, um, where do I go? I was like, oh, far out. It's not a good start, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, you look at how does a man or a woman that's, you know, been through a volcanic eruption, don't have the right clothing on, middle of the night, they're going to get down First the mountain. First time up the mountain. First time on the mountain, yeah, you know, that was a huge, huge ask for, for James you know, to get down the mountain. But anyway, I explained to him where I thought he should go, and he said, All right, well, I'm, I'm out of here, type of thing. Yeah, exactly that. And I said, Oh, I said, I said, Great, but hold on a sec. I said, You know, can you can you please tell my friends and my family that I love them? Mm. And that was you know, heartfelt, and I really meant that because I, 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 I didn't think I was going to survive it. Mm. I think he had more of an upbeat expectation on, on, on the outcome. But, yeah. you know, I was, I was up to it with my first aid certificates. So I was pretty experienced in the outdoors and I knew that, gee, I was in a, I was in a really shitty situation. Mm. So, so James, yeah, just kind of took off into darkness and it really was quite movie-like. And here I am sitting there, it's pitch black, it's minus eight degrees. It's freezing cold. Yeah. Couldn't get my legs out. And I guess I started to do some mathematics. I was like, yeah, I kind of listened at school, right? Yeah, mate. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah sometimes it helps. It's sometimes it helps, eh? But um, I was counting on my fingers, you know, just working out. It could take the rescuers 10 hours to get to me, I thought. 
on foot, you know, yeah. and then uh, I worked out some more mathematics and I worked out that I had about five hours to, to live and, you know, my mass was good enough, thankfully, that I worked out that you know, I was going to, was likely going to die up there. So, yeah, of course, I'm thinking about my friends and my family on earth that they think when they hear the news that I've died in a bloody volcanic eruption. Mm. Um, thinking about all the things I wanted to do. I wanted to grow up, I wanted to have kids, I wanted to go on adventures, I wanted, I wanted to be the best teacher I could be, all the stuff, all you know, stuff, I was like yeah. far out. This is Was it a life flash before your eyes kind of moment? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, just you know, just life does flash before your eyes. Everything you've, you know, key things you've done before you, you know, all momentous occasions, right up until that moment. And then I was like, all right, um, I'm gonna try bloody hard to to stay alive and and awake here. But in the back of my mind, I knew that I wasn't going anywhere too quick, right? Yeah, yeah. So my main focus was to try and get free. But every time I tried to pull on my leg, the bones would pull apart and kind of crunch back Ooh, together. Yeah. Never sitting quite right and what are you, was, what's your position are you, flat, are you flat like this oh, it's, a good, good question. it's a good question no so I was, I was in a seated position kind of like i am now with both my legs almost at 90 degrees you know down and but buried from below the knees right so my legs had been kind of encased and i was really sitting on top of the rubble mm. or, or terribly uncomfortable on top of rocks and uh, yeah mate, <laughs> snow ain't no mattress, and that's for sure <laughs> wasn't too good and um yeah, I guess as I was, I was in that position, trying to get myself free and also um, trying to stay focused and trying to stay awake. I thought if I drift off to sleep, that that would be the end of me. So, you know, I just tried everything I did, but literally, you know, time compresses and especially when you're hypothermia. And I think it was probably a matter of maybe 10 or 15 minutes before I, I became unconscious. Mm. Um, it, it seemed like a lot longer and that was it. I was out, you know, thinking that, I thought I'd never, well, I didn't actually even think it just like hypothermia just gets you, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like being hit from behind and KO'd. It just, I was out. So yeah. um, here I was, you know, in this dome shouter, uh, unco- unconscious, um, just kind of dying. And fortunately, James, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, had this courageous dash down the mountain. And, you know, he did find a, a guy inside of a snow groomer. They did organize a rescue. Um, for James, that was, you know, involved a huge amount of bravery, a lot of courage and um, balls, you know, to, to, get, to, get, to get down that mountain. So, um, yeah, um, I, always, I owe a lot to James. Always will. But, um, yeah, he obviously organized the rescue. Well, not James himself, but um, the rescuers came up. And they, they, they arrived at about 1 o'clock in the morning. So if you look at the time scale, 20 past 8 was the eruption. James left before 9. And then at about, I think, one or two o'clock, um, you know, the, the rescuers arrived, which is pretty damn good Not time. bad. By foot, you know? by foot they arrived? Uh, no, they didn't. They didn't. Um, they had a couple of options up their sleeve. Uh, one option was uh, via a helicopter, and they spoke to the Waikato Air Ambulance that was coming down from Waikato, and they had a really high-tech uh, solution for um, trying to... Uh, work out if there was volcanic ash in the air because any um, ash in the turbines would crash the helicopter. Crash helicopter yeah. So their um, high-tech solution was to open up the air vents and sniff it, right? So <laughs> they very were high-tech. Um, <laughs> very, very high-tech. So they were coming down and saying, look, we can't smell anything, but we just 
we don't want to get near the mountain. So they, the best solution was to send a snow groomer up with, or two snow groomers with a, mm. uh, a four, a four man team and four men, actually women were involved as well. I shouldn't be so, mm. um, female. Um, but anyway, yeah, so they sent two, two snow groomers up with a, with a four people on each and they, um, got halfway up and one of the snow groomers blew a turbine. So they all jumped on one. And you got to remember, this is eight men and women that, <clears throat> that have put their lives on the line yeah. just for, for one blokes uh, with the threat of another eruption. Yeah. Uh, so again, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of courage going on um, at, at this moment. So they, they arrive on the snow groomer, which is this incredibly steep country, um, you know, to, to get up there in a groomer, but they're um, incredible machines. I've been in, in them a lot, yeah, a lot yeah. since, but um, they found me unconscious, unresponsive. My body temperature when they checked uh, was 25 degrees Celsius. Yeah, man, so slow. if you just, if you just take a bit of a, you know, a stock on blood temperatures, you know, normals, obviously, you know, everyone will know it's 37 and yeah. anything kind of below, anything down around that 31, two, three is, it's like seriously, seriously not good. Um, and obviously in the high twenties, it's kind of, you know, game it's over, game over man, ca- yeah. cardiac, cardiac rest. So, um, I don't know, um, what, what got me through to be honest, the, the doctors don't think it was probably a bit of health and fitness and just sheer bloody mindedness and determination, but they, um, they got me obviously out of there and onto the groomer down the mountain into a helicopter to Tamanui hospital where they stabilized me. And then into another helicopter, which is the Waikato Air Ambulance, because the other one didn't have all the night vision um, goggles, etc. Yeah, yeah. And they flew me up to uh, Waikato Hospital, and I arrived there at about four in the morning. Um, status one, expected to die, you know, hor- horrific injuries. Um, yeah. And to the recounts of the emergency doctors, uh, some of which I'm still in close contact today, it was a bizarre scene seeing <coughs> someone um, pushed into the hospital on a stretcher that stunk of sulfur was covered in mud and had duck feathers all over them <laughs> because <laughs> duck my feathers. down jacket, yeah, my down jacket and sleeping bag had been shredded during the run. Oh yeah, well, yeah. completely <laughs> um, covered in, uh, in duck feathers. So um, interesting, <laughs> interesting sight. Yeah, they must have and, thought, what is this? Going, what is going on? Yeah, Imagine yeah, if they had exactly, no description. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And really, from there, you know, there was there was some interaction, you know, with my family, and they got told, you know, this is. This is a, a real dire situation, and you know this really could go either way. So, so that was extremely uh, difficult for them. Uh, pretty straightforward for me because yeah, I, I was I was out 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 cold. Um, they took me into the into the operation theatre, and yeah, the legs were shot. Or my well, my right leg was shot. So they um, yeah amputated it there and then. And I wake up I woke up sorry the the next day, um, kind of staring up at the roof, thinking to myself. This looks good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't expect to wake up, and I'm I'm pretty sure there's something wrong with my legs. Let me just check, and I could only really move my head to look up, you know, or look look down. Sorry, you know, yeah. to my legs, and and there was no bloody leg there. So it was. What was that imagine. feeling? Well, if I'm honest, right, um, also wasted on morphine. I don't know if I was William or Wally or what was bloody going on. <laughs> to be honest, so. Yeah, true. Um, that and it was it was surreal in a way. It's like. But I think the 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 biggest thing for me was is I've woken up, I'm alive. Yeah. I don't really give a shit. Yeah. Like, this yeah. this is great. I didn't I expect can breathe, to wake I up. I can see. Yeah, yeah. I can, um, yeah, because there's doctors and nurses running around here. There's some machines beeping and probably keeping me alive. Oh, this this is bonus, you know. So, um, <laughs> I've, I've people say, yeah, it must be terrible. It's like, yeah, it was. But 
you know, the fact that I woke up and got a second chance was, um, was, yeah. was, was better than all that. Right. So, but you know, it's not to underestimate it. Um, you know, it was a hard, terrible time in hospital. You know, it was, what was your recovery? Was it a f- weeks and weeks or? Uh, I was nine weeks in hospital. Um, 15, uh, operations I had, well, I think it was about 13 in hospital. And I did the mess other day. I was only, I required 20 liters of blood, um, for, for transfusion. Shucks, so, man. um, you know, it was a pretty full on operation, a uh, full on, um, you know, experience, you know, from general yeah. ward to plastic wards to orth- orthopedics, um, back to, back to orthopedics. I'd love to know what my ACC bill is, um, <laughs> yeah. <to> require, right? <laughs> uh, heli- helicopters and yeah, uh, medics and hospitals operations. And it's not to mention the prosthetics today, mm. but, um, yeah, hospital was hard. It was, I was under you know, a lot of um, you know, medication to begin with. But the thing that really made it for me was the, the friends and family coming in and out and, hmm. you know, really providing that support. And that, that kind of really, you know, most definitely kind of kept me going. But what was probably the biggest transition, <clears throat> you know, was was going from, from hospital to home and realizing when I got home, you know, Yep, my legs were beaten and broken. The leg was never going to grow back. You know, I had all these stitches in there, mm. and you know, it, this 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 really was was kind of me. Um, and I guess I had made a decision in hospital. This is you know kind of key, I think, for my recovery. That you know, I was gonna I was gonna live a, I was going to live a life of adventure, and I was going to get back into the classroom. I was gonna get back to Dome Shout, and I was going to learn to walk again. And I think making a, a, a you know that's really really key kind of decision. Uh, in such a, a terrible state mm. um, yeah, yeah. was so important. You know, if I hadn't made that decision to get my life back on track, to to actually set myself some goals, well, I could probably still be sitting around in a, in a hospital bed, you know? So yeah. um, right from the get-go of leaving, I had made these kind of, made, made a decision, but same time, you know, I hadn't been there before. I was scared. I, I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know what the future would hold. It was just so kind of, you know, kind of uncertain. I guess I was, I was full of fear and doubt. Um, but I think all of us have a bit of fear and doubt when we take on a new challenge or a change or, or whatever it is. And yeah. I guess the thing that I keep telling myself is that, you know, I didn't know if I could um, be successful and none of us know if we're going to be successful, if we try something new or set ourselves a big goal. And the only way to find out was to just you know, push aside that fear and doubt and, mm. and give it a crack. Right. So yeah. that was kind of what I did. And um at home, like I said, reality kind of really hit. But um, the two things that you know, really kept me going, I think, was one was my sense of like purpose. You know, I was I, I loved my teaching. I loved the outdoors. I loved yeah, my friends, yeah. my family. And as you know, you know, purpose drives individuals. It drives organisations. And time. and that that sense of purpose really gave me the the courage and the confidence to begin to overcome those nasty challenges that, that, that I was facing from nerve mm. pain to wounds healing to um, everything else that comes with it. And secondly, which I touched on before was, you know, with my friends and my family. And, and I think the most important thing was, was, was building a tight knit team with my immediate family and also my great group of friends before the accident. So we're kind of yeah, yeah. ready to ready to weather that storm. Otherwise, I think it would have it would have been so so much more difficult, and I just you know encourage people you know all the time just to build those tight knit teams at home, at school, in the community, because it's not if things go pear shaped like it's when you know we're in a bit of a pear shaped situation right now, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I mean we all get down a hand, but it's how you play it and who you play it with, right? It is. It is. It is. That's right. That's right. So you know it was it was um not 
not, not, not an easy thing to, to overcome. And, um, you know, looking back on it you know, now, 13 years down the track, sometimes I wonder how the bloody hell I, did I do it? <laughs> but, um, well, mate, even hearing know, it, like I know you've shared your story yeah. before with people and for you it's, well, I wouldn't say normal because it's not a normal yeah. situation, but for you, you're used to, but even people hearing this story for the first time are thinking, how the, firstly they're thinking, yeah. how the hell have yeah. I never heard of this guy if they haven't, but also how the, how the hell did you get out of it? <laughs> but um, even for you, yeah. adjusting to life with a prosthetic leg, well, legs, yeah. I suppose you get more yeah. than one. Yeah, yeah. There's a few, yeah, yeah. There's cycling, there's diving, there's every day. Yeah, I think I saw a photo of you like uh, you were packing your suitcase to go somewhere in your head. This is my uh, venture league. This is my uh, (laughs) hanging out around the house league. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few attachments. Uh, Thanks to taxpayers. Appreciated. (laughs) Did you have to learn how to walk again? Like, did you have to? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean the, you know the the, I don't know what the right words, but the, the the cognitive memory the whatever it is in your brain it's 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 still it was still there for me the issue was i was learning to walk without an ankle again you know so you haven't got that kind of natural movement so yeah. it took me about I don't know, probably nine months to learn to walk not no not learn to walk but pro- probably a short amount of time to le- learn to walk maybe a month or two but you know nine months to be able to really do everything like mm. you know, get up in the morning, put your leg on, um, have breakfast, do the dishes, put the washing out, um, go to school, go by the supermarket on the way home, and do some chores and get and, and get to bed. You know, think about it, there's a huge amount of steps involved in that. Um, mm. You know, I had huge issues uh, with, um, with blisters and fit and, and all sorts of stuff. It was it was it was hard work. You know, yeah. um, I'd walk around the block. Um, well, first of all, you know, it's inside the house, and I walk around the block, then I walk around the bush, yeah, yeah. the park, and get more and more and more and more but um you know i'd love to be out there walking and trying to create blisters and create rub spots to then take back to the limb center and say look guys this is exactly where it is so let's let's fix it up yeah 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 and your so, kids the students guess, who are back to teaching must have you know all been all about it mate they must have yeah oh mate and... it was it was it was good times eh? um but you know also nervous times you know i i went to a new school with new students after my accident and that, to be honest on my first day i turned up legless and not the other legless but um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no prosthetic leg right and for me it was yeah it was scary and i needed help you know i needed help from the colleagues to um you know get me through those kind of tough times and provide some support i was just doing one day a week for the the first for the first i don't know a year or maybe six months or something whatever it was and um yeah, they were fantastic. And of course, the kids, you know, brilliant questions. And why would they not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Was your leg gone? Um, is the skin going to grow back on your leg once they saw the prosthetic leg? Uh, yeah. Are you a robot leg? Oh, Look, mate, kids a ro- have it a all, robot eh? guy. <laughs> Just no, no filter. And and I, I appreciate that. I think it's really, really, really cool. Yeah. But, um, you know, once I did, I did get the prosthetic leg and I could, you know, do more and more. I was, I was really fortunate, you know, I had a principal that would just, kind of understood and I, I yeah. guess the deal was I was like look I'm coming back into teaching like I'm prepared to give it my 100% but I just don't know how much time I'm going to be in the classroom I got the limb center appointments got potential operations all sorts of stuff so yeah. <clears throat> we just made it work and um, when, when I you know did have a prosthetic leg I remember one of the fun things we'd do um, with the, the kids that I'd, I'd have I'd have a leg cleaner in the, in the class so <laughs> amongst yeah amongst all the you know the kids that do the PE monitors and the monitors, monitors and yeah, mate. La- lunches and things like that yeah so you can imagine it was a hot job, you know, oh, man, they all wanted after it. job There's an incentive. Uh, wanted to, to do the, the league clean on a Monday morning after being out, out and about. So uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was, it was really good time. And I, I talked for four years and um, after my accident and, you know, I loved every moment of it. And I guess the only reason I kind of got out of teaching was, is, you know, I got uh, approached by a, sc- a parent from a school in Taupo 
and he said, oh, you know, I've seen you in and out of the press, et cetera. Would you be interested in helping us set up um, you know, a youth development program with your outdoor and with your teaching kind of background? And uh, I, I was like, yes, yeah, love to. You know, I'm always happy to give back. And yeah. uh, we worked on it for a year. And at the end of the year, he said, oh, do you mind if I call it the William Pike Challenge? I thought, Sounds a bit weird, mate. Yeah, um, that's that's. But mate. hey, uh, if 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 you must, you know, you you can. So the Willing Pike Challenge was born, and I was like, oh, yeah, all good. You know, I was I was, I was happy with that, and it just ticked along, and I was I was really proud of what we kind of created, and um, I wrote an article in the Education Gazette about it, hmm. and after that, my phone just rang off the hook. Uh, emails flooded in. Other wow. schools were like, hey, we we want to want to be part and, of this. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is really exciting. So I kind of moonlighted setting up this Willing Pike Challenge and um, teaching for a couple of years before it was, it was too much. You know, I just, I took a massive leap into the unknown mm-hmm. to um, to pursue the Willing Pike Challenge. And you know, for people who, who don't know what it is, um, we've got 90, we've got nearly 100 schools around New Zealand doing the Willing Pike Challenge at the moment. And it's all about kids learning how to, learning how to step outside of the comfort zone, developing you know, 21st century skills while being resilient. Like I said before, critical thinking, uh, problem solving, and so, so much more. And t- to do that, uh, it's a year-long program. It's for year six and up. And, um, schools facilitate five outdoor activities. Mm. They do uh, 20 hours of community service, and they do 20 hours of passion projects. And a passion project is something which is new to them. It's building and mastering new skills. That's cool, man. Um, yeah, anything from rugby to to, to cross stitch, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we see some we see some wicked examples or, or you know, stories, should I say? You know, kids that have done some incredible passion projects, incredible community service, helping out in the community, and obviously just using what they've got in the in the in the backyard. So, um, for me, you know, looking at the Winning Park Challenge Award now, you've, you've got the different components. You know, you've got the the outdoors, which is which is just really building those 21st century skills up in ways that you just can't do inside of a classroom, yeah. um, developing just strong kind of human, human relationships uh, and anything else, which I won't go into as we all, as you know, yeah, you know, yeah. the outdoors kind of, kind of brings courage, confidence, resilience, what type of thing. And the, the community service, you know, that's all about, you know, I guess it's, it's contributing to community. It's kind of giving back a sense of belonging, um, which again, you know, connecting local kids, local places, local people. It's just really, really important. In a society that's quite um, self-centered and <coughs> that, you do yep, you, yep, you know? Yep, absolutely. And and the whole passion project is about building and mastering new skills, you know, essential for you, essential for me, uh, essential for everyone um, to, to be able to, to, to do that. So yeah, at the end of the day, I guess, you know, I'm super proud of the Willing Pike Challenge. I've dedicated the last, you know, nearly eight years of my life to, um, I guess, sharing some of the experiences which has shaped me into the person I am today, you know, mm. through, the, through the Willing Pike Challenge. And, um, yeah, I, I think there's never actually been more of an important time right now um, Huge. than what the situation we're in with COVID, etc. for kids, I think, to be doing the Willing Pike Challenge, to be connecting with their community, to be building them, uh, and mastering new skills and to be adapt to, to adapt and be resilient and all that kind of stuff you know it's just um we're, we're, in, a, we're in a crazy time and we need a, a new set of skills right to, to, to get well, us through I, it i mean yeah. i mean when i think about we talked about this off off recording before we talked about you know yeah. the curriculum and in, in schools and and you know anyone mm. that's listened to this that are in their <laughs> 20s 30s 40s will know that was reading writing math was mm. everything and everything else that's was right. a side 
hustle. You know, I remember mm-hmm. paddling the, I think it was the Rangataiki River, um, yeah. like grade three or yeah. grade two rapids. And just that yeah. camaraderie on a trip like that and the things you mm-hmm. learn with mm-hmm. my outdoor teacher and the education outside the classroom, that stuff is yeah. is crucial, eh? And I think yeah, it is. Um, it is. it's a shame that... Um, yeah, it's a shame that it's not as as mainstream as it could mm. be. And would you mm. say to people listening to this that, um, like, I mean, resilience, developing resilience, and not just young people, but in mm. and adults, you know, mm. edu- well, not education outside the classroom, but just being in the outdoors in general, that's where resilience. Um, that's one way to look at it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of willing bike challenge, I guess the outdoors is just one of those vehicles, you know, to developing that resilience. And sure, you can develop it through um, starting a business or having a, a, an injury or an illness or uh, through sport. Um, but, you know, it just so happens that, you know, we've, we've chosen the outdoors for, for developing that and um, the perfect uh, vehicle for, for learning about well-being, yeah. resilience and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Is how would you define resilience? Um for me, I guess resilience is having the ability to, I guess, step outside of your comfort zone and kind of bounce back in a way. Um, resilience is, I guess, being brave. Um, but when I, I'll come back and answer your question, but I guess when yeah. I look back at, you know, I guess all of, you know, my, my achievements or my, you know, my successes over the years, whether it's been, you know, a lot of them have been, have been mental as opposed to physical, but, you know, making that decision to get my life back on track and um, deciding to, or oh, sorry, learn, learning, learning how to walk again, um, you know, getting back into the classroom on that kind of one leg, um, you know, getting full of those kind of blisters on the stump and, and really kind of bouncing, bouncing back, starting the willing mm. pipe challenge. Um, you know, just, I won't go into much detail, but I just started the prosthetics business kind of recently. Cool. Um, everyday stuff like, you know, um, you know, dealing with the kids and as young as they present. Um, when I look back on all of that now, I guess, you know, the one, I guess, key to, key to success and key to being resilient has really been to step outside my comfort zone. I, I really do think that that's my key to success and, and achieving what I'm doing now and overcoming challenges. And if I want, if I need to, you know, um, create an opportunity or overcome a challenge or a change or adapt or, um, you know, set myself a big goal. I, I need to lead myself. I need to lead others. You know, kind of outside of, of my comfort zone. Mm. And I think, you know, three ways I, I'm able to do that is um, is to have an excellent team in behind me. People around I've you. Never, never, never achieved anything, um, but but by myself. I'm great. I've never achieved anything great by myself. Mm. Um, having two people around me to fall back on, to to, to question, to uh, have that support from is number one. And, and secondly, which I touched on earlier, is that is, that is purpose. You know, purpose is fuel to your fight and it, and, it, and, it, and it gives you your why. And for me, um, if I don't have a purpose for something or a passion, I ain't going to do it very well. So mm. um, that, and also, and I think thirdly, you know, it's, it's just not underestimating yourself. Um, yeah, it's, it's huge. You know, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, you know, I'm good at underestimating myself, but I guess, you know, looking back on, you know, successes and we can all look back on our successes, you know, you, you can go, oh, actually, I probably shouldn't have underestimated, my, underestimated, my, underestimated myself then. And that's, I think that's a real big kind of, you know, takeaway about stepping inside of your comfort zone is it's like, you can do it, you know, I've been there, I've been in the hostel bed, I felt that fear, I felt that doubt. Um, and even from the lowest situations, um, lowest points and, and terrible situations, um, you can kind of get back out and get mm. 
uh, on top if you don't underestimate yourself. So <clears throat> in order, how do you, what is resilience? How, to be, how do you be resilient to answer your question? I think it's having the ability to step outside of your comfort zone. And if you can start just by one little step, um, it becomes easier, become more confident, become mm. more resilient, become more brave, and you're able to kind of do it more and more and more and more. And I guess at the end of the day, that's what I guess we're trying to pass on to these kids with the Willing Fight Challenge yeah. is that you guys can do it. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. That's huge, William. I, I I really like kind of ending on these notes because it's it's just interesting for me because, I mean, mm. <clears throat> the things you've done is not just who you are. You know, you, there's so much more to you as a person than just mm. your experiences, mm. right? And sometimes we only see, you know, William Pike, the explorer who that's had right. that experience on Mount Rupehu. You know, like that's not yeah, all yeah. you are. And we've seen that in this podcast. But for you, man, yeah. what's, some, what, what's, what's some dreams for you coming up, coming forward? I'm talking practical things that you want to launch and achieve and yeah. goals yeah. you got to, you know, set out for. Is there anything in particular yeah, yeah. highlighting coming up? Oh yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, and there's this this heaps. <laughs> like, you know, I guess I guess you know, one 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 arm you kind of I look at the Willing Pike Challenge, and you know, um, like I said, I think it's never been a more important time for for schools to be getting involved in that program. So, you know, we've got uh, there's nearly a hundred schools this year, so I'd really like to to grow it um, well beyond that uh, for next year and get a whole lot more schools engaged uh, their kids. Um, I think they're going to be so desperate for something like that for next year. Mm. That's one thing that's coming up. So I guess my staff and that are working pretty hard. I've only got one. Um, <laughs> I unfortunately, had to, I unfortunately had to get rid of one another, um, due to uh, due to COVID. So yeah, it's um, tricky stuff. Which is which is sad. But um, yeah, we're working really hard now to to I guess you know educate schools about the Willing Fight Challenge and kind of onboard them for for next year. Uh, inspirational speaking that's another part of uh, I guess revenue which feeds into the Willing Pike Challenge so right now there ain't a lot, whole lot happening there so not a whole lot of crowds uh, gathering yeah. there's not so I'm hoping to um, you know, to pick that up um, it's this important part of, 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 what, of what I do and also I only oh, mentioned it briefly but yeah I've started a, a new business um, to do with um, prosthetics and uh, keeping prosthetics clean and uh, that's taken an extraordinary amount of time uh, a lot of stepping outside of my comfort zone yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to get to where we are now um, but we've just made our, our first kind of big sale into um, into a group so that's that's cool, really man. really promising I'm really really stoked about that and then I guess you know that's only one part of my life and um, if I'm honest, probably not the most important. You know, you've only got family and friends and everything else, right? So, yeah. um, you know, it's just it's just being present for for the kids um, while they're while they're kind of young, and I'm not going to not be present when they're older, hopefully. So, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. the plan is yeah, the plan is to give the kids time and uh, that work life kind of balance. So, um, I do place a lot of importance on that, and I'm fortunate being in a, in a home office where I can you know can see the kids um, uh, more often than, than kind of some. So. I, so I'm yeah. very grateful for that. Yeah. As I said, I'm keen to take the kids on some adventures. Um, so hopefully, we get down a level or two. Yeah. Um, to, to What's, go have you got one that. on the on the on the? I know you had the overnight um, Kaimai yeah. trip plan, but is there any any that you think oh, I want to take them there? Like even when they're maybe 12, 13, is there any big ones? Oh yeah, I mean, like uh, Mount Tongariro has got a special place in my heart. It was um, the first mountain I ever climbed mm. uh, as a 19, 20 year old. And it was the first mountain I climbed with a prosthetic leg. Oh, and right. it was also uh, where I proposed my wife. So, uh, <laughs> special place. Mate, full circle. <laughs> I think, yeah, that's yeah, definitely mate, full yeah, circle. Mate. So, got, got, to, got to take them up there. Um, you know, in winter, of course, not, not during summer, it'd be too easy. Oh, yeah, no. Um, I think I paddled the river there during winter. And it yeah, was, oh, yeah, it was freezing, yeah. mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do it's it again in winter, but, you know. 
Exactly. So uh, plenty of adventures. Uh, there's a lifetime of adventures ahead. You know, it's just a matter of making the time and um, and making it all happen. So no, it's, yeah. a, it's a highlight that I'm really looking forward to. Oh, years to come that's wicked man yeah well honestly yeah. honestly dude i i just want to just thank you for hopping on and spending a bit of time with us yarning away and um yeah. yeah let's um let's get this william pike challenge into schools man let's let's start 100%. pumping this up i, I would say i'd use yeah, my um connections that i don't have many of but um <laughs> uh, from my end <laughs> I'm sure, yeah i'm sure this podcast will do well yeah um man. So, um, yeah, mate. Oh, that's cool. Well, you know, let's, um, let's just catch up afterwards and um, we do a school visit or something and yeah, see where we go. It would be awesome to have you guys really. part of the community. Mate, yeah. thanks, Dan. Thanks for the yarn, mate. No, no worries. How good. Well, once again, William, thanks for hopping on, bro, and sharing, sharing your story, getting vulnerable with us and giving us the details. Um, man, what a story. And I hope if anyone listens to this and yeah you can just go away feeling inspired and encouraged that you can chase after the things you want to chase after um legendary dude make sure you check him out on instagram check out his website um keynote speaker william pike challenge so many things that you can even get involved in and plugged in with um with the william pike challenge really really awesome um yeah let's get out into the outdoors (laughs) but um yeah once again only a few more episodes to go and next week another awesome one coming up for you can't wait to share it